Welcome to Coffee with Kathy. I'm so delighted to be with you today. Um, the cup that I'm drinking from, you may remember if you watched our last episode a few weeks ago with our staff, Liz and Derek were drinking out of this cup. And so true to form, I wanted one. And so they ordered me one. And it's really cute. And it has a whole lot of really kind of uh, interesting things. I'll just put it like that. But if you want one, let us know. We'll make it happen. <laughs> Today, I'm so excited about our guests, Isaiah Fish and Eric Palmer. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about in light of everything that's happened in this last week, this last seven days, is to talk about our story right? To share our backgrounds and perspectives and some of the ways that we have arrived at this point where we are now. Uh, here are two people from very different backgrounds, very different experiences, who are committed to their faith, who are committed to their church, and I thought it would be important to hear from them. So Isaiah is going to start and he's going to tell us about his background and sort of how he came to Park Avenue Church. Great. So I'll start off with my cup is uh, the same kind of cup I had uh, the last episode because I am finding that I'm monotonous in some ways and a little boring and I'm learning to embrace that. Uh, and, uh, but thinking about kind of my own, my own background of uh, actually all of my family since the early 1820s, at least I believe, uh, were a bunch of white people from Indiana quite frankly, uh, you know, of, of on both sides of my family, it seems that my ancestors were farmers or doing, doing things there. Um, and so it was when I was uh, one years old, one year old, that uh, my family, my parents, my sister and I, we moved to Nashville, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. You remember and, uh, that at one years old? I'm sorry. Do you remember? I, I have no idea. I have, this okay. is just, <laughs> I was like, it could be completely I wrong, could be a lie. That's just what I'm <laughs> uh, So, yeah, so when I was one, I supposedly moved to uh, Tennessee. <laughs> there you go. And I was uh, in Tennessee up until 2014. Um, oh, okay. Uh, was there, uh, you know, church seemed to be the central part of my life growing up, and obviously it, it is now still. Um, at that time, at a kind of evangelical church, uh, different churches that, that I went to, uh, churches that, looking back, were overwhelmingly conservative. Um, and that really shaped kind of who I was at an early age. I remember uh, up and through high school, I would say, I was the goody two-shoes kid, um, always at church, being it with uh, doing worship practice for our youth group. Uh, you know, children's choir when I was a kid, uh, Bible quizzing I was a part of. Did the church? Yes. They both did whole actually. Family. Whole family? Whole family. Whole family, yes. Um, and actually at the first church that I went to in Tennessee, uh, my dad was the music pastor there. Uh, oh, okay. So you were in the church. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Not, you weren't just a goer. No, no, no. <laughs> you, were, you were very involved. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. You were involved. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Small town, big town. Uh. 
pretty small. Pretty small. I, the, the the one that we're from in uh, Indiana has one stoplight. It has two now. It recently got a second stoplight last time I was there. Um, and then in Tennessee, uh, where my parents live now, I think about sixty thousand people. Uh, so a medium medium suburb. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. See, that's pretty big. Yeah. That's yeah. Big mean, enough. Big enough. Enough. <laughs> to get Um, I'm sorry, continue if you had more. If not, I will continue. <laughs> what do you want to know? Um, well, um, just really, you know, how was, you know, so you went to church a lot. Did you play sports? Did you not play sports? Did you, you know, were you strict, a strict household? Like, what was it like for you? Yeah, so I'll answer the second part first, and this is a point of contention with my sister. Of I am the younger child, which means that I got away with a lot more. Um, you did too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good stuff. Um, uh, of things that my sister was not allowed I'm ashamed to say. of it now. I can't say that. I'm I'm perfectly okay. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, I did play sports. I played, you know, soccer at points, played basketball, I played football, I ran cross country. I did one season of track that was a terrible decision, but I did it. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's uh, pretty active starting from about second or third grade. Okay. Gotcha. Absolutely. Um, How about yourself, Eric? What's your background? Oh, man. Uh, okay. I'm a Jersey boy, South Jersey. Um, my wife would say country. I did not say that for a long time, and I fought it. But apparently, I'm a little country. And um, small town, relatively small, but a college town, Glassboro, New Jersey. Okay. I'm there for the first 18 years. Uh, years of my life. Regular parents, um, one worked, one went to school. Mom went to school and worked. Dad owned a trucking company um, in a predominantly white town, but diverse town. You know what I mean? But dominant was white. Um, yeah, we were, we were assimilating. <laughs> Let me put it that way. We were assimilating in town. Um, so go along to get along and learn how to get along better. Right. Uh, that was my, I would say observation because I grew up in, you know, when parents are busy as a child. So like when you said, I was, I was allowed to do what I wanted. So <laughs> my parents were busy, right? Um, was that good, bad? Who knows? But you know, um, that also, trust me, all that fun, <laughs> all those fun and games comes with a little, comes with a little luggage also, you know, but uh, yeah, they were busy. You know what I mean? And then at some point in time, um, they also got divorced. Things got too busy, I guess. We didn't talk about it, so I don't really know. Um, in terms of that, I played, I was heavy in the sports. That was my outlet. That was my place. Those were my sanctuaries. Um, and that's where I got attention. You know what I mean? Because when parents are busy, they don't watch you. So I need someone to pay attention. So I played a lot of sport and tried to be very, very good in every single sport. Um, school was an afterthought. Uh, you know, I was just playing sport, really just getting into trouble, more trouble than I need to get into. Um, but, uh, school was an afterthought, mm -hmm. but I knew I wanted to continue to play sports. So I decided to go to school mm -hmm. late. Um, went predominantly white school, in Northeast Pennsylvania, you know, so a whole bunch more assimilation going on, but I've been practicing already. So I was ready. <laughs> I was already ready. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's basically, you know, what shaped my processes, decision-making and all that kind of things growing up. Um, not really 
you know, guided through it, just living it, lived it. Things yep. were busy, get to work, earn some money. School was paramount. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't said, but it was done. So it was like, we're looking like you got to go to school and somehow you got to earn. So get to it. You know? Um, so you grew up a little fast, mm-hmm. grew up a little fast, made decisions early, washed my clothes early. 12 yeah. years old, I was doing my own laundry, making my own food, mm-hmm. almost burning the house down at least twice. <laughs> at least twice. And then I started to cook outside. That's why I like barbecue. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I like barbecue. And it's, um, you know, it's easier and safer. I'm outside. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so in terms of yourself, so you end up here. Now we're in yeah. church, right? We're in the same community, right? I've mm-hmm. known you now for how many years? Uh, and five? Five? Four and a half or five? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Right. So um, I feel like I've watched you. <laughs> yeah. It's been exciting. Um, but anyway, still, you end up here same way that I end up here. I'm not a New Yorker. I was out in Northeast PA, South Jersey, mid-Jersey for a moment, right? And um, got into some things out there, and then I end up here, right? Right. Uh, Park Avenue, United Methodist. So how'd you end up here? I ended up here. get here? And uh, yeah, how'd you get here? Yeah, so I mean, looking at the trajectory of it, I... I Honestly, I got to go back to high school again. Uh, my senior year of high school as uh, this good evangelical kid um, who is also a bit of a nerd. Uh, and so I was always reading. And I was in uh, a bookstore one day and, and stumbled upon this book. I had no idea what it was about, but I bought it because it had a, a cool cover. And what the book ended up being, it's a book called uh, The Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne. And, and what, what Claiborne does of he looks at, you know, the faith of he's an evangelical as well, white evangelical, uh, but he really spoke about the importance of justice in the gospels, in the Christian faith, in the life of Jesus, in the early church. Okay. Uh, the importance of, of, of solidarity with the oppressed, with uh, issues of poverty, issues of uh, violence. And so reading that book senior year is I was already, you know, in high school seems to be one of the times when you really begin to carve out your own way in terms of faith in some ways. And so to find that book at that time uh, really set me on on the trajectory. Uh, The next year I enrolled at uh, the the college I went to in Nashville, another evangelical school. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my major was actually in social justice. Uh, and so went through college and in my junior year of college, uh, I read a book um, I have right here is for a theology class of theology of social justice. Uh, it's this book, The Cross on Lynching Tree by James Cone. Uh, and uh, this is one of the books that completely changed my life, I would say. Um, there, I mean, there's so much I could, I could talk for quite a while uh, about the book. Um, <laughs> To give a snippet of, of Dr. Cohn is uh, the father of what has been called Black Liberation Theology. Um, black li- Liberation Theology? Black Liberation Theology. Okay. Yes. Um, and, and it's looking at the gospel uh, from, from the underside is, is how he phrased it, of looking at what does the gospel mean uh, for those who are poor, for those who are oppressed, um, he was a black man who grew up in the 1950s, 1940s, 1950s, 
what is it what does the gospel say if anything about the issues that he was facing of the lynchings of the police brutality even then um so you're a junior at this moment junior at this point this would have been uh spring of 2013 uh second semester junior yep second semester junior year okay and reading that book uh i had already wanted to move to new york i looked up who james cone was discovered he was at union seminary in new york city Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and halfway through the semester on my spring break my dad and i uh, took a bus up to new york and i toured union for the first time and i was sold Okay. Uh, so it's really because of Dr. Cohn that I'm even in New York City in the first place. Uh, <laughs> right. Yes. Where the people are. Yeah. Did you, read, did you, were you brought up on reading a lot? Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I was the weird kid, honestly, who was like four years old reading. Oh, really? You're, oh, like, yeah. Goes, she was, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, she might challenge you to some reading because she can get a reading on. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That being said, the reason I ask you that is that I didn't do a lot of reading. Okay. Okay. Like I said, I played a lot of sports. So you're, I would, I would have to go back to high school myself. Like I said, free spirit pretty much did what I wanted. Yeah. Um, was that, what did that look like for you as a high school student? <laughs> we'll put it this way. Okay. Getting to know a lot of things that as a young person, you should not be getting into. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna put it that way. Believe it. A lot of things. I was. I call myself. I was a bad kid. I okay. did not listen to rules. Mm-hmm. I, I, but I played by them, but stretched them. Okay, that's a kind way to put myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I had a really, really good time, you know, um, and uh, was really just living my life. So the decisions. You know, I mean, I didn't put a lot of thought process. So you're. I'm impressed by your decision-making process to make conscious decisions at a young age um, that you actually thought about. You know, um, I didn't think about most of my decisions. They were just done on a whim on how I felt at that particular moment in time because it was u- usually a matter of how am I surviving this moment that's so busy and overwhelming at this moment in time that I can't handle. So it was move out, of, move or stay here and not do as well as you think you should be doing. So I went to school. I made a decision to go to school for that purpose. You know, um, had a lot of fun in school, more fun than I had in high school. (laughs) Again, on the same path in that regard, but to end up here in New York, you know, I really just did a lot of working and not really directionless in that sense, just working, survive, I got a degree, so I'll be good and, you know, live your life. So it wasn't until, but everywhere I went, if, it, if I ran into struggle, I always relied on sport, I should say, wrestling to push me through to the next level. If you got to level up, you got to do what's necessary to get to the next level. Right. So do your job um, so that you could always stay ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Right. Didn't want to be behind the curve. You just didn't want to stay ahead. But the point of me, uh, mentioning that is that that's how I pretty much, you know, my whole life went. So we were just in it. Just keep on grinding, assimilate, move on to the next step. So it wasn't until I late 30 something, you know, started exercising a little bit more, thinking about meditating a little bit more. And then 
met Ngozi <laughs> okay. right. and made and met Ngozi and who led me down a completely different path uh, mm-hmm. back into the church uh, reluctantly because I'd left church. So your assimilation of going, Hey, I'm all in for church uh, at your same decision-making process. I turned, shut the door behind me and left mm-hmm. for a long period of time, unless I had to go Easter Christmases. Right. It usually entailed me dating somebody. Right. So, um, it wasn't until that point in time, come back to church. And, um, it was a conscious decision to, if I wanted the girl that I wanted, I had to come back to church. Okay. <laughs> it's conscious, you know? Um, so you, if I'm going to do something also though, I can't do it halfway. I got to embrace it just a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, so for me, that was the, enough of a starting point I was in from the beginning. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I was in. (laughs) And um, so when we got married, moved to New York, I needed church. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, I had to choose one. (laughs) Right. Right. I chose this one. (laughs) That's a different story. (laughs) That's a completely different story. Um, but the reason I did is for the community because I had been going through um, in trying to live into myself and uh, becoming the person that I want to be. I had to do some mental adjustments along the way that required a little bit of work and heavy lifting that I really wasn't looking forward to getting into. Right. Uh, that I pushed away for a minute. Um, so in the sense of you went out there and read books and gave you those, that insight to think a little differently, do things a little differently. Uh, for me, it came a little different way a little bit later, mm-hmm. but also full on like, Oh, this is how, you know, I mean, in terms of how you think about things, it can be a little bit different yeah. um, to just take another perspective on, as opposed to the one you were brought up on. Right. Right. So, and that's it for me, it was always about, Oh, now I got to challenge myself in my own knowledge base about the decisions that I'm making because they're being challenged themselves right. by outside forces. Not, and, I, and I'm inviting it, though. Mm-hmm. I was inviting it at the time because it was a conscious decision. So um, in doing that, I had to put in a lot of work to do a lot more reading, do a lot more understanding about me, myself, and my people, and this, that, and the other in yeah. order to keep growing as an individual so that I don't keep tripping over myself. Because <laughs> I did a lot of that also. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I did a lot of that also. So. Um, and that's how I ended up at church because mm-hmm. I felt comfortable. I felt right. like it was a place I could be, have this conversation that we're having right now. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, want to be in a place where you can be that way and that I can trust who I'm around on a regular basis. Right. You know what I mean? It's really just, and that was the part of uh, that uh, Pastor Kathy bond, not to toot your horn, Pastor, but you were just in the inviting and willingness to be open for whomever you are at any particular point in time, in whatever stage of life that you're in, is like, I'm good for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just made you feel comfortable in a way that other places, spaces, church, school, even my own sports teams and things like that just didn't make me feel that way. Mm-hmm. So um, along with church doing that, but also my wife doing the, and Gozi doing the same thing, right? It was like, oh, this is really, really cool to think <laughs> to be in this kind of space. You know, I mean, it's different than what you're used to, what you've grown up to or what you've assimilated into or whatever it was. It was like, oh, this is relaxing. It's comfortable. 
Right. I can be, I don't know how we want to put it, myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I found myself growing up, I found myself looking to find a way to belong and be myself. Right? Not really feeling, how do I want to say, seen. Trying to be seen. I found myself trying to be seen all the time, but it didn't always come out the right way. I was trying to be seen. Sometimes it was like, all right, you can't see me that way. How about this way? Usually it's not a good decision. Um, you know, so yeah, it was always that for me growing up, no matter where I was. If you probably saw me, you probably think, hey, this guy's all right. He's got it together. Nah, always trying to be seen. A little trying to belong. How do I fit in? Where do I fit? Um, what type of person am I going to be? I didn't sit and think about it early. I mm. thought about it late. Mm. And uh, I guess that's how I end up here. It's like, oh, I need to be in that kind of space. Right. right so, I mean, right. So that brings us back, right? So this week has been a lot. <laughs> um, and I'm just as a community, how do you feel about what's going on this week? Just in general, it doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be crazy. I'm still parsing through that myself, quite frankly, in some ways. Um, I think on, um, I can't help but draw parallels of to my first semester here in New York. Uh, I, I moved to New York in August of, of 14, uh, right in the midst of of the news of Eric Garner and Michael Brown, mm-hmm. and I remember then uh, th- that December of all of uh, the protests uh, after the non indictment decisions um, on, on the police officers and uh, for me that time in 2014 was such a pivotal time of how I understood myself, how I understood um, race. I was at uh, an incredibly progressive seminary coming from a conservative evangelical college. It was a, it was a culture shock in many ways. Mm-hmm. And so then I suddenly found myself standing in the middle of the West side highway with a lawyer's number written on, in Sharpie on my arm in case anything happened. And over the, this past week, it's, I don't know how to feel in some ways of, uh, on one hand, that's okay. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that, that what we're seeing right now in terms of uh, this, you know, righteous outrage, I would say. I'm hoping that it means something, you know, of, of being out in one of the protests on Saturday, of, 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 of being in the middle of that and, and feeling this energy, this, this hope for change. I'm hopeful in that way. And then there's a part of me that's wondering, uh, is it going to do anything at the same time? And so it's a, uh, I, I don't know how optimistic I am about what's happening but I'm very hopeful that what we are seeing is going to be a catalyst for uh, some kind of change. 
some kind of unveiling revelation. Oh, huge. the big change, right? The big change, right? So, okay. You're hopeful. Hopeful. Uh, um, Cynically hopeful, maybe, but I'm hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that. Uh, I do. I do understand that. So if, um, and I'm just going to follow up question. I promise yep. I will give you my own. That's, that's... So if you could, you know, what is that for you? Right. And I'm really, cause I think we can only do ourselves. Right. Right. I can't do anyone else. I'm not good at anyone else. I'm best at me. Right. So for you, what is that in terms of, okay, everybody says, what am I going to do? I'm like, I don't know. You can only do you. Right. So in terms of this, cause this is a thought provoking transformative, transformative type of time. Right. So what are you planning to do different Right to, I mean, because the whole thing is, you know, I don't even want to say, I'm not going to go there. I'll put it out later. But the whole thing ends up in the same place for me. For me. Ends up in the same place. It ends up about race in the same place. So I'm just saying that sense, what, I mean, how do we do things differently? I mean, I thought about it, we'll have to think about it. So, yeah. Curious. I mean, I think, especially in this particular moment, I think. I think I think race race is the crux on which everything is happening right now. Um, I I when then, so then when I think about myself, I have to kind of reflect on on first of all who I am, and and that is a, a white guy in the middle of this of 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 recognizing that if I chose to not be engaged with what's happening, quite frankly my life would be okay, you know, of, of I could go on with life. I, uh, not, not morally at, at this point, but in an objective sense of, of, of I, I'm not being stopped by cops in the same way. I, I, if I am pulled over, those worries are not going through my mind as, am I going to get out of this? And so I think the first step for me in this week and, and, and really for the next years, many years ahead, I think, is, is critically investigating who I am as a white person. I think asking the question, what does my faith say about this? Recognizing that I am worshiping somebody who was murdered by the state on behalf uh, for or because supposedly of this kind of insurrection, you know, of worshiping a God who chose to be incarnated, uh, not in a Roman, but in a brown-skinned Galilean-Palestinian Jew. What does that say about who I believe God is in this moment? And then also, at the same time, I'm reflecting on the idea of voices in some way, of the question of, the question and the tendency to center my own self in things in many ways of the, of, without getting too calling out uh, of some of the responses that you see, and especially in the past couple of days have been this thing of, here's how I feel about this as a white person, of I feel sorry about this, or, you, you know, of, of there's a time and the place for that, but so much more we we need to be 
it seems to me of uplifting the voices that have been so uh so oppressed in this time so denigrated okay and so then i then and so then i'm question forced to ask the question of, of of what am i doing to lift up those voices um whether it be on social media whether it be in what i'm saying if i'm preaching i mean i'm preaching next sunday so so that's already going through my head of of what am i going to say that's not just what i'm saying and how i come up with it as a white person but what but what is being said how is this being viewed by those um who are black who are people of color in this moment and how are they reflecting on this and what might they be able to tell me about how this connects to my faith it's heavy oh yeah absolutely it's heavy i have, I have not slept well <laughs> four nights <laughs> right right, right. No. <laughs> you have it okay i get it um okay well, where are you at right now eric how are you feeling where am I at? First, I'm going to help you with your, and I don't know if you read it, not read it, or whatever. It's also a great book. Uh, it's how to, how to Be an Anti-Racist. Who wrote that? By Ibram X. Kendi. Okay. I follow him on Twitter. I don't think I've read the book. So, right. No. It is, uh, there's that and uh, White Fragility book that, yeah, I mean, again, we were talking about our backgrounds and our psyche, right. right? So those kind of things. It's like, how do I, it's not just about not being a racist. It's how you being want to be an anti-racist. Right, 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 right. How are you going to do things that circumvent mm -hmm. that's going on? Um, but also on the other book that I mentioned, that White Fragility book was also more of like mindset of like how people think, just like we mind, you know, think about how profile people. We all have our set in our ways because of how we grew up, same way that I think certain things, how we grew up. Um, so for me, um, this moment has been really, really heavy, you know, um, uh, but from a different perspective, perspective, I was listening to you and um, your concerns were in a different spot because of, um, I'm like, wow, I didn't think of any of those things. I was, uh, it just took me back to my childhood of being unseen and not belonging. <laughs> and I mean, neglected a little bit, those kind of things. Um, because you're, um, how do you say, like, so I grew up, you know, trying to assimilate all the time. Right. Right? So you've been trying to assimilate, trying to like, be seen, I guess, in that sense, as just a regular person. Um, but all along, you're not. So for me, it just brings back those feelings of like, oh, it really doesn't matter what I do. Hmm. I mean, good, bad, or indifferent really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, you're going. You, you're going, not going to pay attention. You're going to neglect me anyway. You're going, not going to um, uh, allow us to play in the same sandbox. Right. Right. No matter. I mean, just the magnitude of it all. Three in a row. Like just to come down on you at the same time. Um, so, in terms of feeling, I asked you, "How were you feeling?" You were. You came out with hopeful. Um, and I was like, "You're hopeful," and um. I'm unfortunately not mm -hmm. in this moment. Mm -hmm. uh, I am more than uh, more than that. I'm, I'm, I'm initially I'm sad because I am um, because of uh, all the assimilation. I am a people pleaser. I like people. I love to be around people. I like talking to people, um, but I also like them to be joyful in my presence. 
I don't like the negativity. I shy away from it. Um, but I'm, you know I mean, so I'm sad at the moment. I'm angry. You know what I mean? Just because I'm angry. Like, how do you do it? I just don't understand. Um, frustrated in the sense of like, we've been working hard now. And when, when you're, when you've gone through the process of making yourself aware of your own personal self is your own personal biases and how you think about things and gone through the process of either reading several books, going to therapy, going, talking to your pastor, whatever it is you've gone through, if you're willing to do those things already, it's unfortunate you can't undo them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Because once you do, now I have to look at the whole picture. I have to reflect on the whole picture. Just like we were, the whole point of us mentioning where we come from is because it's part of our picture. It's part of what makes you, it's part of what the, made, fuels your decisions. Right. So in my mind, there's no hopeful because it's like I've seen, it's like you've seen it mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. You've seen it before. So how do we get to the other side? How do we live in this moment of now what I've, I guess for us, a scared moment, mm-hmm. scary for me? Um, because it's so much now, even though we always knew it was uncertain, mm-hmm. we knew things go down, this, that, and the other. But when you compile it right on top of each other in a seven-day time period and then slap it down <laughs> and go, here it is. Right. And with one behind it, in the seven days, that's only been three, right? right. <laughs> There's right. other things in front of it and a couple more things are going to come behind it. It's like, like oh. we know of right now. Right. So it's... I'm, so I'm scared for myself, scared for my wife, scared for my pastor. I'm, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that part of, you know, I mean, like, so in terms of community and you and I, right? So we're going to grow as people, right? I think you need to be able to understand that. Right. I do think that most white people need to actually at some point in time understand that. Mm-hmm. It's scary. Right. I'm not afraid that I can't handle myself. I'm 215 pounds. I'm good but scary mindset wise that anything can happen to you. I get it. COVID-19 is coming. It's here. Mm -hmm. Not going anywhere, but there's nothing we can do about that. (laughs) This is different. You know, I mean, it's almost, you know, it's the, for the mindset of, I brought it back to, I don't know, abuse, domestic violence, all those kind of things. The mindset that people go through every day. If you live in a house like that, Mm -hmm. right. You live in a house where you might get abused every day. Your mind's got to go crazy. How do I think about school? How do I think about work? How do I think about being a better person if I got to worry about survival every day? Mm-hmm. That's hard to do. And I'm 49 years old. Been surviving a very long time. Never felt like this before in my life. Now, I'm also one that's never been aware until 38. You understand what I'm saying? It's just, I, and I'm always, I, I do appreciate your hopefulness. <laughs> I do. Um, but I, you know, I am, uh, I just want to, I think we just want to be seen. It's in the end, right? We all just want to be seen. I don't think everybody's going to like everybody. I'm not a kumbaya guy. I played on enough sports team that this thing is just, it is what it is. People don't like each other. It's the way the world is. But we still got to be here. Right. We got to go to school together. We got to go to church together. We got to live together. Uh, I'd rather know who you are and know that we're okay in the spaces that we're okay. So that's the thing that I've made my adjustment for, Mm -hmm. right? What am I going to do different? That I'm going to be more vulnerable in my own, within my own communities. Right. 
um, so that I can be seen as a person. You know, so I'm going to be, you know, just be willing in that sense. The other things are, you know, going to come. Do we protest? Do we do whatever? I don't know. Times of COVID, I'm afraid to go out there. <laughs> Walking the streets. But um, in terms of everything else, yeah, I mean, I don't want to be afraid of the other things also. Yeah, you know I mean, that's so, I, yeah, I'm more, I'm scared, scared. Like you're surrounded. Mm -hmm. Daily. I didn't mean to put all that weight on you. No, no, this is, this is what this is for. So I think we had some technical issues. We had to pause for a quick second in our recording, uh, but we are back, hopefully. We're back. I'm here. And um, Isaiah and Eric, I just want to thank you for your honest answers, for going to that vulnerable place and for sharing, because I think that it is this kind of dialogue, one-on-one -on -one or two or three, who are having these conversations about things that matter, that are going to help us move forward, if we're going to be able to move forward, right? And part of belonging is to get to know each other. We can't love each other if we don't know who we are. So I always like to end this podcast with some uh, conversation about what do we hope for? And I hope that this will be one of many, many conversations in our community where we are continuing to have these conversations with people that love each other and love God and love the world. So thank you. Thank you for being here. And if you'll share your hopes, that would be great as we end this session. Eric, can you start? Because you also never showed us your mug. We need to know what mug you're drinking out of. Here. Oh, I didn't show my mug? I don't believe you did. I thought I did. It says, blessed is a man of faith. Uh -huh. I'm going to look like an idiot on this, and we'll go with it. So that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what are, oh, in the end of all this, see, right? To, you have to, um, that is faith. Amongst all this chaos, you have to see hope, light on the other side, right? So for me is that the fact that the light has shined on so many things, just even just being in COVID in general, mm -hmm. uh, and all the incidents that have happened or whatever's going on, is that we have a little more humanity, start making decisions based on people. That's what I, you know, and I, for me, I'm, my hope is that I can continue to just be and put myself in that vulnerable spot to be able to make people be more comfortable, whatever it might be, um, not necessarily just to be seen, just to be seen, you know, that's really all my hope in, all, in the end, just be seen. We can all go about our business. Right. We'll all be all right. I think for me, I think my main hope right now is that this time is different. Of what's going on is not just something small that pops up or even something big that pops up, but then we go back to normal. I, I've heard so much talk, especially in, in, in the light of COVID, of we need to get back to where we were normally. And... Uh, especially as, as we're reflecting on this past week, I think it's clear that 
what we knew as normal is not just, it's not holy, it's not loving, it's not of God. And so my hope is that what we are seeing is the beginning of a shift into something new, something that is not going back to the same old, same old, but something that is, that is fresh and liberative. Absolutely. Transformation. We're in a transformative period of our lives. Right. It's exciting. That itself is hopeful. Yes. Because change is hope in general. When things change, there's hope. Right. They stay the same, which they can't anymore because it's not good for everybody. <laughs> right. With change is hope. And I think that's God's work. And we are the church, and I think we will rise up, right? I, I'm listening to the two of you. You've done a wonderful job today. It's been very inspiring. And it gives me hope, right? Because God is with us. We belong to God. And I just can't believe that we won't get through this. We will get through it, and the world will be, get through it, and the church will get through it, and we will be better and stronger for it. So thank you. God bless you. And we'll, well see. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Very excited. Absolutely. Thank you very, very much. Yeah, thank you for uh, being honest there, Isaiah. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you, Eric. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Coffee with Kathy. This podcast is brought to you by Park Avenue United Methodist Church. Follow us on social media at P-A-U-M-C-N-Y-C. You can also support our ministries by donating at paumcnyc.org slash give. We hope you've enjoyed this coffee with Kathy. Until next time.